Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. Good morning, everyone. How are, how are we doing? Good. It's nice to have Adam back doing announcements for, for once. It, all the, uh, the grammatical things made me feel better about preaching. Uh, the me's and the eyes or wherever they go, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, but uh, it's great to be here today. Uh, we, we're going to be in chapter 2 of Jonah, uh, as we just read. But uh, for those who might not have been here or it's been a long, crazy week, you don't remember what the heck happened last week, uh, we'll talk about Jonah 1 and just recap it for, for a brief moment. Um, and so in, in Jonah 1, what we saw, we saw this prophet, um, someone who, who heard God's voice, heard God's word, and would give it to God's people, um, get, a, get a word from the Lord to go to Nineveh, this great city, a city that wasn't his people, and to go and, and call them to repentance and call against them. Uh, and Jonah didn't want to do that. He, he didn't want to do that, so he ran from the presence of the Lord, he gets on a ship to Tarshish, Tarshish which is um, the exact opposite direction from Nineveh, the, the city in which he was called to, and he just runs. He just runs away from the presence of the Lord. And so um, what ends up happening is Jonah, he's on this ship with a bunch of guys, and there's this great storm, um, and, the, and the guys, the mariners, which are like, you know, people who run ships. If you don't know what a mariner is, we don't use that term a lot except for in sports. Um, I didn't even know that until I Googled it to figure out what a Mariner was. Um, but it's like a baseball team, I think. But um, they, they, there's these Mariners, they're on, they're on a ship, and they, uh, they're scared. Like, they're frightened because of this huge storm. Um, and so they figure out they're in this storm because of what Jonah had done. They're in this storm because Jonah had ran from the Lord. And so um, Jonah says, just throw me overboard and everything will be fine. Uh, the dudes, they decide, well, hey, we don't want to throw Jonah overboard, so let's try and row harder. Um, that doesn't work. So they end up calling out to the Lord um, and saying, please forgive us. Don't let his blood be on us. Um, you, you can do whatever you want. And so we're going to throw him overboard. And as they throw him overboard, the storm ceases. And that's kind of where we ended. And we, we talked about how um, really the storm was not God's wrath. It wasn't his anger towards Jonah, but it was his great love for Jonah that caused this storm to come around him. Um, so that he couldn't run from the Lord, because he was running from the presence of the Lord, and it is gracious for God to do whatever he has to do 
to stop someone from running from the Lord. And so he stopped Jonah from running from the Lord. Um, and, and, and honestly, the, the mariners became believers as well. They started believing in, in the Lord, um, Jonah's God. Um, and so it was a really, really neat story so far. Um, and, and the story continues today. And so we talked about um, really, really three things that Jonah... Uh, really didn't understand the gospel. He didn't understand God's grace. He didn't understand his own sin. So number one, he thought he was good. He thought he was righteous. He thought he was great. Uh, and, and then number two, he didn't realize God's grace was for everyone. He thought God's you know, grace was for, for uh, Israel and not for everyone. And so he ran from the Lord. And the third thing we talked about, um, and the third thing we really can't miss from this story, is that it's is God's great love for a city. God's great love for Nineveh is really the, the, the essential to the story. Um, because the reality is, as you read this story, if you just read it for face value, the reason why God is chasing after Jonah, the reason why God is transforming Jonah, the reason why God's doing these things for Jonah is because he wants Jonah to go and preach the gospel to these people. So he's doing all of this for Jonah, yes, but also primarily for the people of Nineveh. And so God has this incredible love for the city. So those are the three things we're going to see. We're going to see concrete examples of sin, concrete examples of God's grace, and concrete examples of God's love for a people. Um, and so today we, we, we pick it back up. Um, and, and before we pick it back up, I want to start by just saying something that I believe with all my heart. And that I think we, we're going to have to believe if we're going to see what God's doing here in our lives, here in our church, and here in Jonah. The thing that I believe wholeheartedly is that all of our problems, all of our issues, not all of our circumstances necessarily, but all of our problems are all rooted in one thing, all centered and come from one thing. And that thing that all of our problems come from is our lack of belief in the gospel. All of our sin, all the circumstances that our sins create, all the storms we find ourselves, not all of our circumstances necessarily, but all of the ones that we have created through our own sin comes from, the root cause of that is a lack of belief in the gospel. All of them. There's not a thing that you have done, not a thing that you have caused that doesn't go down to a lack of belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's important for us to see. And, and, and we can go through, um, I don't want you just to, to think um, that I'm crazy, but he, here, here, Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, would say it this way, that, that every breaking of the commandments, talking about the Ten Commandments, really, uh, every breaking of the commandments is really a breaking of the first commandment. That if you would keep the first commandment, you would keep all the other commandments. So the first commandment is you shall have no other gods, right? That's the gospel. There's one God who's come to save his people. He is the only one to be worshipped. And so when it comes to things like lying, lying is a lack of belief in that good God, that, that the God, that God the reality that he's created for me, the reality that he's created for me and I find myself in, that's not good enough for me. So I'm going to create a new reality that's better for me. I don't believe God's reality is good, so I will create a new reality and lie and bear false witness about what I'm actually doing and who I am or what my circumstances are. Stealing. Stealing is this elevating of something. Like you, you may take a want or a need and elevate it to a position of godhood, and I need this thing, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this thing. And you're not worshiping the Lord. It's a lack of belief that God is good, that he will provide for you. All of it. And, and, and even going beyond all of this, like think about our lives. We can go on and on again. But most of us, 
know the gospel. Like we know, like intellectually, most of us, we, if you grew up in Spruce Pine, Burnsville, Bakersville, I know I get flack for not mentioning Bakersville as much as I should, Bakersville, let's just say Mitchell, Yancey, Avery County, like the surrounding counties. If you grew up here, you've probably heard the gospel. You've heard the good news about Jesus. But there's a way to like know the gospel, but not really, and, and know it in your head, but it not have penetrated your heart and changed you. And, and so what happens is, and this isn't unique to me, but there's this idea, like a, like a, you guys remember when you used to buy like sodas from Coke machines? I know it was like, I might be missing some of us here, but do you, there used to be a time where like to get a soda, you had to put change into a machine and you pressed a button and Coke would come out or Pepsi if you were like, you know, depraved. And, but most of us, we were going after Coke. And so we put coins in and, and Coke would come out. But sometimes you put a coin in and what happens? The coin doesn't drop all the way. It gets stuck at the top. And so what do you have to do? You've got to shake it and kick it and get angry. And you're shaking and you're, you're trying to make it. And all of a sudden, that coin does drop. And then the fruit of your labor, right, the fruit comes out, the Coke or Pepsi for those of us who need to repent. But something comes out and you've shaken it. So something, it gets stuck at the top. And for a lot of us, and in a lot of different ways, the gospel is stuck in our head. And it hasn't dropped to our heart. And so God in his loving grace will shake us until that drops and changes everything. And we can go on. We can talk about all these different things. Like some of us are destroying our relationships because of our demand for perfection. Like some of us just, we feel like we need to be perfect. Our spouse needs to be perfect. They need to do everything right. And so we will pick them apart. We will demand perfection and we will destroy relationships. We find ourselves in these circumstances where we don't like being at home. We don't like being around these people anymore. And we think no one's good enough. But the reality is we're putting a weight that is unbearable on our spouses, our friends, and even on ourselves. It's creating distance in our relationships. But what does the gospel say? It says you're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. So Christ died to give you his perfection. It's this idea of imputation where he's taken his righteousness that you could never have, and he's given it to you freely through the cross and through his burial and resurrection. That's the gospel. And so a lack of belief in the gospel that you have to be perfect to have the life you want is going to destroy your life. And it's a lack of belief in the gospel. We, we'll keep going because I was at this conference this weekend, man, and we were just digging into the gospel, and it was awesome. Some of us just live in this level of loneliness even when we're around other people. Like we are at home group surrounded by like 18 other people, but we still feel lonely. We feel like we're so unworthy to have friends. We don't think people will love me if they really knew who I was. And so we distance ourselves even when we're sitting next to people. And what does the gospel say to that? The gospel would say that through Christ's work on the cross, God has adopted you into a family that he's chosen you before the foundations of the earth, not because of anything you've done or said or would believe, but based on his good pleasure and will, he has decided you're, if you're in Christ, that you would be his. Like you're freed up not to feel lonely anymore. You're freed up not to feel unworthy because God has lavished his great love upon you, not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is. I mean, like, oh my goodness, there's so many. Some of us have sinned so greatly that the circumstances we find ourselves in are just hard to get through. Like we've made so many mistakes, I, we just don't see a way forward. 
Like, if I confess that, like, it's going to ruin everything. If I come clean about this, it'll change everything. And some of us have been sinned so greatly, has been sinned against, we've been sinned against so greatly, we don't see a way forward either. So some of us have sinned so greatly, some of us have been sinned against, we just don't see a way forward. And so we live in despair and depression. And I'm not trying to take away that there's going to be some circumstances, there's going to be some storms that you're going to have to go through because of your sin and maybe someone else's. But it's not going to be, it doesn't have to be devastating. Because the gospel, there's this cool word, uh, we talked about this weekend, but it's a, it's, it's a big word, so just, just listen to me for a second. It's, this, it's called the doctrine of expiation. Now some of you are like, man, I come here, Zach, because I like, can understand the Bible when I come here, and now you're throwing like, these theological terms. Just, just, it's going to be okay, just bear with me. This idea of expiation is that on the cross, Christ took your shame and took your sins away. Not just those of you who have sinned, but you have to hear this. Those of you who have been sinned against, your shame has been taken away through the cross in Christ. We can go on and on where the gospel is the answer to all of your issues. And for most of us, that's going to be trying to figure out how the gospel can drop from our head to our heart. Because most of us know these things. Like, I get that Christ bore my shame. I've sang the hymns. I get it. But I don't get it. So today what we're going to see, we have a front row seat in Jonah's life and seeing the gospel drop from his head to his heart. We get to see Jonah, a dude who grew up as one of God's people, as a privileged prophet of God. We get to see the gospel drop, probably for the first time, it seems, from his head to his heart. So we'll go through this um, verse by verse like we do, and, and we'll talk through it. But I want you guys to, like last week, see this as a real story. Like this really happened, and we'll talk through it because some of us might be skeptical. It's a real story. It really happened. And this is Jonah's legit response to what happened. So verse 17 of chapter 1. This is actually where the Hebrew Bible would start chapter 2. So us English folk, we really messed it up. Um, so in verse uh, 17 of chapter 1, this is the beginning of the next part of the story. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That verse has been the subject of a lot of debate. Like, could a man really be swallowed by a fish? Um, could he really live three days and three nights in a fish? Wouldn't it have to be more like a whale, if at all, in a fish? A whale technically isn't a fish. It's a mammal, so the Bible's wrong. Like, there is so much controversy over this fish. Um, this this, this uh, pastor and teacher, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, talks about it, and he says, man, like, one would hope that this fish has a chance in heaven to explain himself, because he's been the subject of so much <laughs> ridicule, um, and I think that would be pretty neat, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But he, here's what he would say. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read. There's a couple times today where I'm going to read some quotes, because dudes just explain it better than I can. So Sinclair Ferguson would say, um, thinking about us, could this really happen? He would say this, while it is commendable that we should carefully examine the authenticity of such tales, there are reasons for caution as we do so. The most important is, of course, that too much discussion about the great fish can divert us from the real issue. The narrative is not really about a fish at all. The fish is only a walk-on part in this gripping drama. Focus on this great fish, and we may lose sight of the great God. The fish isn't the issue. 
But, but then the question still is, is Zach, do you, like, do you really believe that this dude was swallowed by a fish? And I guess I don't want to spend, I'm not going to spend the next 40 minutes talking about why I think it's possible and how horses have been swallowed by things. We're not going to go into that. But what I will say is, like, I believe Jesus is king. And so if Jesus, like, has anything to say about Jonah, I'm probably going to listen to him. And then you know what the cool thing is? Jesus talked about Jonah a lot. And so I want to read Matthew, uh, verse, uh, chapter 12. We're just going to read this real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time here because it's not the point. But Matthew um, 12, 38. Jesus would have this to say about Jonah. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus believes Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So the question really isn't about Jonah at this point, right? Like you see the Bible says Jesus believes this. So the question no longer is, do, could you believe that this is real, that the Bible's being real here? But the question is, what do you believe about who Jesus is? Because if Jesus is God, if Jesus is fully God, if he's the king and he believes it, shouldn't we believe it if we actually believe what Jesus said about himself? So the question for most people when they are skeptic of the Bible and they want to talk about Jonah or Noah and the ark and they want to talk about how these things could exist, things be real, the question isn't, for, for most, most of the time, let's try and prove to them that this could possibly happen. But I like to take people to Jesus. Like, what do you say about who Jesus is? Because if you believe Jesus died and came back from the dead, how hard is it to believe that someone lived three days in the belly of the fish? Like, if you believe, I think one of the greatest miracles is that God created everything out of nothing. If God, the creator of everything out of nothing, except for man and woman, but everything else out of nothing, couldn't we believe that the things that he created could live together one inside the other for three days? Like, I just, who is God? Who is Jesus? If we answer that question, we really don't have to worry about, is this, is this real? We just, okay, Jesus said Jonah was in there, so I'm going to believe Jonah was in there. So that, and that's what I have to say about that. Just personally, pastorally, I believe Jonah was literally, not allegorically or metaphorically, I believe he was literally inside of a fish for three days and three nights because it would seem that Jesus believed that. And so I'm going to be with Jesus um, on that issue. But all right, we're going to go back to Jonah. So a fish literally swallows Jonah. He's in there for three days and three nights. And then Jonah responds by really kind of like singing. It's like this poetic um, deal. It's almost like a psalm. It's basically like, and sometimes he's almost quoting psalms. So one would wonder, like Jonah would probably know a lot of the psalms or probably all of them. And so he's probably just, he's, he's praying and quoting and singing scripture back to God, infused with some of his own things that are happening. Um, and so we're going to read through this and kind of talk about Jonah's response uh, and, and we get a front row picture to what, to what Jonah's response is. And so chapter 2, it says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And so he's saying, um, I was in the belly of this fish, and you answered me. This, I was in Sheol, and you heard my cry. And so um, 
the first thing I would say is that immediately his first response is to run to the Lord. His first response is to, he's been running from the Lord, and now he's in the belly of the fish, and he wants to run to the Lord. And we'll see this again as he talks about the temple and wanting to see the temple again. Like, here's a guy who's, who, he's in this situation because he's running from, and his first response is to run back to. His first response is really repentance, that he repents, that he wants to turn from his sin, what he was doing, turn from running from the Lord and to run to the Lord now in repentance. The first step in the gospel falling from our heads to our heart and the gospel penetrating the depths of our heart, the first step is always going to be repentance. It's going to be turning to the Lord and, and, stop tur- and, and turn from ourselves and our own sin. So he's in Sheol. This is this idea. It's, it's grave and um, really, really the Hebrew, like, mystics and, and people would, would really believe that kind of, uh, that Sheol, the grave was kind of below the water. Like, they didn't really know what was down there. Um, there was kind of this mystery surrounding what was down there. And so Sheol, like, like this idea of him going to Sheol, like, he was, he was falling through the sea down to this watery grave. And that's where he said he was, the, the, his depth, that he fell all the way from the belly of the grave. In verse 3, it says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Let's stop there for a second. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. The belly of Sheol, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. For repentance to take place, really we need to see two things. And, and the first thing is Jonah saw, I believe, this is conjecture, I believe the thing Jonah saw probably for the first time, that's the conjecture part, the first time, was the depths of his own sin. He saw how deep his sin was. He saw how self-righteous he had been. He saw how he had been running from the Lord, and he saw his own sin. He saw that he had taken himself to the grave, that all these circumstances that he had created were pa- passing over him, and he saw the depths of his sin. I want to continue to, to verse 7. Here it says, uh, in verse 4, we'll pick it up back at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet, that word yet is so important in this passage, it comes up again. Um, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. So he's seen the depths of his sin. He has fallen so far. Like, so, so here's Jonah. He's been cast in to the sea to stop the storm, and he's there probably treading water. Um, I don't know how long he was treading water, but I have to believe it was a while. There's a story about a, a guy who, who got drunk, um, and he fell off a cruise ship, 10 stories down to the cruise ship. Um, he kind of stumbled over the, the side, and he gets in there. Um, he loses his glasses and his clothes, which I thought was weird. Um, but I've never fallen 10 stories, so I don't want to judge the guy. But he loses his clothes, and he's just there treading water, and he and I don't know how he calculated this, but no one on the, on the, on the interview questioned it. He, he treaded water for about 14 hours, and he started to fall, and he's just getting tired. And I think I th- he says he saw some sort of light um, or something, and so he started treading, out of hope, he started treading water again. And he treaded water for three more hours, so for 17 hours this guy's treading water. Um, 
and, and until a cargo ship rescues him. I can't tread water for like 10 minutes in a pool, um, to be honest. But this dude treading water for this long. I have to believe that Jonah was treading water for probably a while. I think sometimes we, we have this picture that Jonah got cast into the sea, and then all of a sudden just a fish swallowed him up right away. But I'm not sure, like, if Jonah's falling into the water and waves are crashing over him, and he's talking about how he's so far down that he, the roots of the mountains, like, where are the roots of the mountains? The bottom, right? So, like, he is sinking. He's not, he's not, he's already given up. But he hasn't given up hope, because what does he say? He says, I will see the temple again. He turns to the Lord. So he sees the depths of his, of his sin. He sees how far he's fallen. He sees where his sin has taken him. He sees the depths. But the second thing he sees is that God's grace is bigger than his sin. And see, we can't miss the irony here that this guy who, the whole story starts off with him running from the presence of the Lord. Now the only thing he wants is the presence of the Lord. Like he wants to be back in the temple. See, back in the Old Testament, the temple was where the presence of the Lord was. Behind, uh, in the Holy of Holies, there was this large curtain, um, and behind that curtain was where the presence of the Lord dwelt. And this is what he wants. He wants to be back. He wants to see that place again. Because it's kind of weird, right, like for us to think, I'm treading water for a long time, I'm about ready to die, and all I can think about is the temple. Like, that's weird, right? Like, I'd be thinking about a lot of things, uh, but maybe not the temple. But he wants to see God again, and he believes that he will. And he believes that he will because he believes in the grace of God. That though the depths of his sin are deeper than he could even imagine at that point, the grace of God is, is so much bigger. So much bigger. So he believes he'll be back. So he's thinking about the temple. And the funny thing about the temple is in, inside the temple, inside the Holy of the Holies, is this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant are, are a couple of things. But one of the things inside there is, is the, uh, Ten, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And so he's thinking about the temple, and, 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 and he sees that he wants to see the Lord again. And this, inside the presence of the Lord is the law. And he sees how deep he's fallen and how much he's broken that law and the depths of his sin and the holy God. And he deserves, he deserves the grave. He deserves these things. But the other thing I, I, I imagine that he would see is on top of, of that was the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the seat, and when once a year they would, they would kill a, an animal that was sacrificed to the Lord to atone for the sins of Israel, and they'd sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to atone and to forgive the sins of Israel. And so though he sees the law and how much he's fallen, he knows that the blood, that the grace of God, and the blood that was spilt for him, can save him and will save him. He sees these things. He's repenting because he sees the depths of his sin and the grace of God. So the question is for us today is do you really, do you really get the depth of your sin? Do you really see how deep your sin goes? Or do you think, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm not that bad. I've never murdered anyone. I haven't actually committed adultery. I just look at things on the computer. I don't actually, you know, murder people. I just really hate some, some people. I just can't, I, I wish this person would die. I'm not going to do it, but I wish they would. Like, do you see, do you get the depths of your sin? Because the reality is until you get the depths of your sin, the good news of Jesus Christ will never be that good for you. Because good news has to invade bad spaces for it to be good. So you have to see the depth of your sin. And without seeing the depths of your sin, I just don't think you'll see the goodness of, of Christ. 
And so you have to understand how deep your sin is. And then that collides with God's grace is infinitely deeper than the depths of your sin. And it covers your sin. What does, Jesus, what, what does Jonah say in verse 8? Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Like God's grace is, though your sin is deeper than you realize, God's grace is deeper still. And we have to see both of those things for the gospel to fall, for us to repent and see that gospel fall from our head to our heart. And so what does he say? He says he's going to break the idols. He's done with the idols. When the gospel collides, when the gospel falls from the head to the heart, we want to destroy these things that separate us from God. We want to destroy these things we've been worshiping instead of God. We want to destroy our idols. And so Jonah, he wants to destroy it. He wants to follow God and destroy these things. I don't know what your idols are this morning. I think if I talk to some of you, I probably have an idea of what some of them might be. Um, but I don't know all of you. I don't know some of you that well. But we have them. And when the gospel falls, we want to smash our idols. And we, we say salvation belongs to the Lord. I want to quote Tim Keller, one of my favorite teachers uh, and preachers, um, instead of just trying to explain what he explains because he does it way better than I could. But I'm going to quote him. He, he's written a book, and he's preached three times through the book of Jonah. Um, and he's written a book called The Prodigal Prophet, and it's incredible. Uh, but he writes this. He says, when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh the first time, Jonah ran in the other direction. We read that last week. Why? The reader assumes it was just fear, but chapter 4 reveals that there was also a lot of hostility in Jonah towards the Assyrians and the Ninevites. So Keller goes on to say, I believe the reason that he did not uh, did not only have pity on them was because he did not sufficiently realize that he was nothing but a sinner saved by sheer grace. So he ran away from God, and you know the rest of the story. He was cast into the deep and was saved by God from drowning by being swallowed by a great fish in the second chapter. We see Jonah praying, and his prayer ends with this phrase, salvation is of the Lord. And Keller goes on to say that his, his old teacher, Ed Clown, used to say that this was the central verse of the Bible. It is the expression of the gospel. Salvation is from the Lord. It's of the Lord and no one else. Period. No self-righteousness. Nothing you can do will ever earn you any favor from God. But he gives it freely to the cross of Christ to those who repent and believe. Self-righteousness self is on our salvation. Salvation is from the Lord. But as a prophet, Keller says, as a prophet, doesn't he know this? He knows it, and yet he doesn't know it at all. I think that, we want to sit in that for a moment this morning. Don't you guys know this? Like if someone asked you what the gospel was, man, I have to, some of us for three years, I hope some of you guys could explain it, but I think some of us, we don't know it in every area. I know, I know all of us don't know it in every area of your life. And I'm not talking up here like you guys need to know the gospel more. The whole point of discipleship is that it won't end until Christ comes back or we die. And discipleship is merely us learning to apply the gospel to every area of our life, to the, for the rest of our life. Every area of our life. 
So what do we do? How do we know it? We have to know the gospel. How do we do that? I think think the, the real big thing for us here at the Grove is we've got to become fluent in the gospel. That word fluent um, is this idea that you, where you know something, a language so well that you can say it without thinking about it. And so we've got to become fluent in the gospel. We know it so well that we can preach it to ourselves and we can preach it to others. We can speak the truth in love. We can do that so well. We're just fluent in it. When someone comes to us and they're just struggling with pride at their work, it's not like, well, I wonder what's wrong. I wonder what's going on. Like, you're just so fluent in the gospel. You can speak like, you don't have to work so hard to be better than everyone else. Like, we can speak the truth of the gospel into these people's lives. So we've got to get good at preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other. See, so many people think that we move on past the gospel into, into advanced and deeper principles. But that's just not true. We need to keep shaking the Coke machine until more and more of the gospel drops and more and more fruit comes out. Until you do that, despite all the things you know and your doctrine, all these things you understand, you will continue to be selfish, scared, oversensitive, insensitive, anxious, and undisciplined as much as everyone else is, and you won't grow. The gospel needs to drop. I think there's probably three different kinds of people in the room today. And as we, as we transition to, um, to me praying and us singing as a congregation, um, I want us to consider where we might stand with those three people, as those three people. Some of you, I, I would have to believe, have yet to experience or realize the depths of your own sin. I talk with people and they always want to blame their circumstances. Like, you know what, if, if my wife would just do this, then our marriage would be better. If my husband would just care more and ask, and ask how I'm feeling more, man, my marriage would just be so much better. I wouldn't get so angry with him if he would just do that. We always want to blame, man, if I just had a better job, then I could be more generous. If, I, if, if this happened, if that happened, then I could do this. And we don't realize the depths of our own sin. We don't realize our lack of belief in the gospel comes down to us not realizing how sinful we are. I think some of us realize the depths of our sin, but we don't think God could, could forgive us. We, don't, we think we've done, so, we, we, we've done so much more than everyone else. We don't think God for, can forgive us. And we think that makes, you, we think that makes us humble. But don't you see the pride in that? That I am so bad that the God of the universe couldn't forgive me. He couldn't, Jesus Christ's sacrifice was not enough for my sin. And that's just more pride. God's grace is for all who would believe and repent. Like when, when Jesus died on the cross, It's not that he was ignorant of your sin. Like he knew all the things you were going to do, and he did it anyway. Your your screw-ups, your mess-ups, your sin, all the things that you've done are not a surprise to Jesus. He didn't die on the cross like, oh, I could cover everyone's sin. And then you come along, and you do something so terrible that he never even thought of. He's like, oh, man, I can't cover that. I didn't consider that when I died. That's just not true. 
Jesus' death on the cross is, is sufficient to cover all of our sin as Christians. I think the third group are people who probably have had the gospel fall into their heart. And what I would encourage you and say to you is that it can always fall to deeper places. Don't, don't try and dig in and get into deeper, advanced, more meaty things. The gospel is the meat of the Bible. The gospel is the deeper places we go. For those of us who went through Colossians and Esther and Mark, you'll see a theme. But the gospel is central to everything we do. It's central to the Christian life. It's central to everything. And it's always what we need to do. We need to meditate on it. We need to preach it to ourselves and preach it to one another. And that is what we see. We get a front row seat to Jonah, seeing the depths of his depravity, seeing how grace, is God is, grace of God is even deeper, and repenting to the Lord and desiring to be back in his presence. He ran from the Lord, but ultimately, he got exactly what he wanted alone in the belly of a fish, away from the Lord. And the only thing he wanted then was to be back. And God was gracious enough to bring him back. And so as we pray today, I just wish that you would consider, where do I fall? Am I someone who's had the gospel drop and I just need to keep preaching to myself? I need to become more fluent in it to where I can respond fluently when my wife sins against me or when I sin against my wife, I can just respond so fluently where there's just my household is a house of grace and love. Or maybe you're a a person here today, you're like, I just, God couldn't forgive me. I just want, you need to hear that he can and that he would. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're just like, you know what, Um, I'm not that bad. I pray God would do something to show you just how bad you are so that you would run to him and not from him when that happens. Um, So we're going to pray and then we'll transition, We'll, we'll, um, we'll move to... Uh, the Lord's Supper, and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, I just pray that it would be a celebration, that we would remember, like Jonah, that God has brought us from death to life, that once we were dead in our trespasses, God has given us life because of his mercy and grace, and so I pray that um, we would celebrate that. If you're a Christian, feel free to come up, celebrate that. If you're not a believer here today, I would ask that you you could stand and sing with us, but that you wouldn't partake um, in the Lord's Supper. That's for those who would believe. No one will judge you for that. You can just stand with us. Um, And then we'll sing, and then we'll end with prayer. And then we'll celebrate three years as the Grove. And I'm really excited today to do that. Um, The stuff smells fantastic. It's been hard to preach without my mouth watering. Um, And so we'll we'll pray, and we'll we'll get going. Father, I just just love this book, Lord, that as we um, dig into this story of Jonah, um, that it says so much about our life. Uh, my wife said it best, Lord, that we are Jonah. Um, and the good news is that Jesus is the better Jonah. Um, that he didn't run when he was tempted. When he was called to do something that was going to cost him everything, he didn't run. Um, but he fought to go to that hill and die for us, guys. We, we're thankful for that. Thankful that he spent three days the belly of the earth, Lord, and came back, and that he's coming back, Lord. So I pray that we would celebrate that, Lord. I pray for those three different people groups here this morning, Lord, that you would just cause the gospel to drop, whether that's by um, confessing the depths of our sin, or being thankful for how your grace is deeper, or just continuing to dig into our life, and let that gospel fall deeper and deeper. Father, I love you. Thankful for all that you do. I pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.